Thank you, Mr. Jen. Thank you, Hot Rod. Appreciate that. Boy, appreciate anyone that's willing to use their gift for the Lord. Amen. Do a fantastic job at it. Amen. I love that song Miss Jen sang, Give Me Jesus. You know, you know why we choose Jesus? Because the world offers a lot. The world offers a lot. And, you know, whenever you put out all that the world offers and then you put out Jesus, a lot of times folks get a distorted vision and they feel like the world is offering so much more. But we say, give me Jesus. You know why? Because the world will throw all these flashy things in front of you. They'll hook you and then they leave you. But the Bible says, Lo, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I am with thee always. And you know what? We give me Jesus because he is always there, always taking care, always ministering to us. Give me Jesus. Amen. Thanks to each of you uh, who are here this morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. Thank you for being a part of the service. <clears throat> this isn't going to work, is it? <clears throat> We gotta get this frog out of the throat. We'll try again. <clears throat> anyway, do appreciate each of you that are here this morning. It's been good to be in the Lord's house already this morning. Brother Danny talked to a Sunday school this morning, and uh, boy, got onto one of my points. And I'm like, wow, brother, if you could just loan me your notes, I'll use that when I get to that point. But boy, I'll tell you what, been good to be in the Lord's house already this morning. Good to have Michaela and her husband in with us. It's been way too long since y'all been here, but good to have them and their family here with us this morning. Thank them for uh, coming by and visiting with us. And also, Mitchell, am I remembering that right? Mitchell is here with us. Thank Mitchell for coming and being here in the service with us. Appreciate everyone that is here. And if you're here, if you're new here this morning and I missed you, uh, there is a visitor's card in the bulletin. If you would fill that out and drop it in the offering plate, we'd love to send you a thank you and let you know we appreciate you being here in the service with us this morning. We're going to be at 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5. And well, as I said earlier, we're going to be looking at verses 12 down through verse number 24. And the, the subject that we'll be looking at this morning, the message that we'll be looking at is this thought, living like we're looking for Jesus in 2022. Living like we're looking for Jesus in 2022. You know the what? When you are looking for something, it affects your behavior. Whenever you are trying to find something, you behave differently than when you feel like you have everything you need. And so we're going to be looking at the thought of living like we're looking for Jesus. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, as we mentioned this morning, uh, when we read the opening passage, the Apostle Paul was talking about two things. First, in the passage we read this morning already, uh, he is speaking uh, of the promise uh, of the second coming. Uh, he says, but of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. Paul says, uh, you fellas know uh, the shape that our world is in. Uh, I do not need to explain it to you. I don't need to... <clears throat> break it down for you. Every one of you can very easily see uh, the condition that the world is in. He said, so instead of laboring the point uh, about how bad the world is, uh, I am going to spend a few verses uh, letting you know uh, that we have hope. Uh, we have hope of a second coming. Uh, he said, brethren, he said, these folks, uh, he said, they, uh, they, they are concerned. They're, they're in the night. They are asleep. They're not aware. He said, but we're not of the night. We're of the day. He said, although it's going to take them by surprise when the Lord returns, it's not going to take us by surprise because we are well aware 
of what is going on and we know that the coming of the Lord is near. And so he, he spends a few verses there talking about the second coming of the Lord. But then in verse number 12, he changes gears and he begins talking about how you and I should live while we are waiting for his return. We know that he's coming. We are looking forward to his coming. But while we're waiting, there are some ways, some things, some behaviors that should accompany the way that we live. And so this morning, as I said, I've titled this message, Living like we're looking for Jesus. And I added on in 2022. But of course, I could have preached this last year in 2021 or next year in 2023. Living like you're looking for Jesus. Let's read uh, 1, Thessalonians starting, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, starting in verse number 12. The Bible says, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, and be at peace among yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Spirit, despise not prophesyings, Prove all things, hold fast that which is good. Abstain from all appearance of evil. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, Lord, as I've said already, it is good to be in your house. And Lord, I mean that. Lord, I enjoy coming to your house. I enjoy fellowshipping with the brothers and sisters in Christ. I enjoy listening uh, to the songs of praise. I enjoy singing the, the hymns and lifting up our hands in worship to you. Father, I enjoy listening to the teaching of your word. Father, I enjoy breaking your word out, uh, uh, Lord, that we might feast upon it. Father, I pray that you will meet with us this morning. Father, as we look at this passage of Scripture, uh, Father, Lord, and we consider this thought living like we we're looking for your return. Father, I pray uh, that, Lord, we will take these practical truths and, Lord, that we will apply them uh, to our life, uh, uh, Lord, that they might make a difference in who we are uh, and in how we live, uh, uh, Lord, that we might be in a light in this world uh, uh, that others might see that there is hope uh, in Jesus Christ. Thank you, dear Lord, for your goodness to us. Lord, again, I ask that you do be with the many folks that are home, uh, Lord, not feeling well. I pray, dear Lord, that you will touch their bodies. I pray, dear Lord, that you will work in their lives. I pray you'll restore their health. And Father, we'll thank you for it. Bless us now this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. This passage of Scripture is a familiar passage of Scripture, particularly if you grew up in church and you have those Bible quoting contests. You know the number one verse that people like to quote is John eleven thirty five. 35, Jesus wept. But those more learned Bible students, they could move on over here to 1 Thessalonians 5 and they could quote, pray without ceasing 
sing. Uh, uh, they could quote, uh, uh, grieve not the spirit. Uh, they could uh, quote all these uh, uh, rejoice evermore. They could quote all these uh, little short verses uh, and they could help themselves out with quoting scripture. Uh, but although it's just short little verses, uh, there is a lot of truth in this passage. Matter of fact, I'll just be honest with you right up front. I'm going to try to preach my all my message this morning uh, and I might get through it, but there's a chance that we're going to preach a couple points and I'll just read the rest of them to you is how it might go this morning. So I'll just let you know that up front because there is a tremendous amount of truth in this passage. Now one thing that I am thankful about concerning the Word of God is that the Bible is full of practical instructions. Full of. There are folks who like to mysticize. Is that a real word? They like to make mystical the Bible. They try to present it in such a way that you feel like it is above me, it is beyond me. I can't understand it, in which like I was talking earlier about reading the Bible, discourages people from spending time reading the Word of God because they feel like it's, it's beyond them. They can't comprehend it. And, and so we just understand a few things that the Bible says and we just grab hold of them, but we feel like a lot of the message is out of our reach. But God gave us a book that is practical. It is down to earth. It is very applicable to our life. Now, one of the problems we run into is that sometimes the Bible speaks so clearly that we have to make it mystical in order to feel like we're not obligated to obey it. But it speaks so clearly. And this passage of Scripture is full of some very practical instructions as to how you and I are to behave as Christians. God didn't speak to us in a language that was unattainable. He spoke to us in practical, down-to-earth, easy-to-understand principles. And the reason that he gave us these principles was to guide us as we lived our life here on earth. And so in verses 12 down through verse number 22, there are eight principles that you and I, I believe, are to practice while we are waiting for his return. Eight principles that we're to practice while we are waiting for the Lord's return. And so we're going to just jump in and work our way through these and just see how far we make it this morning. The first thing that we see in this passage is how we are to live. And the first thing that we see under how to live, uh, the first behavior that Paul lists uh, as being something that should be a part of our life uh, is uh, in verse 12 down through verse number 15, and that is this thing of brotherly love. You know the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, uh, charity never fails. In other words, if we could put it in a different phrase, love always works. You don't have to worry whether or not love is going to work. Charity never fails. And we see here that the first thing that Paul lists, that is to be a behavior of Christians, that's to identify how you and I live while we are waiting on Christ's return, is that we are to exhibit brotherly love. Now, I see a couple of things in this passage concerning our Christian love. First, in verses 12 and 13, we see that there is to be a love for those who are ahead of us. There is to be a love for those who are ahead of us. It says in verse number 12, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake 
and be at peace among yourselves. Now, personally, I have to say that I like this passage of Scripture. Because what this passage of Scripture is saying is that you recognize those who labor in the Word for you. Those who are preaching to you. You recognize those who are breaking the Word of God open to you. You recognize those who are working to understand that they might teach you. Those who admonish you. Those who correct you. Those who speak to you out of the Word of God. It says you know who they are. You recognize them and you esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. So the first instruction that we see here is that we are to love those who are ahead of us, those who are leading us, those who are teaching us the Word of God. And while this does apply uh, to pastors, uh, it can apply to your Sunday school teacher. Uh, this can apply uh, to children and young people. This can apply to your parents, your grandparents, uh, those who are instructing you uh, in the Word of God, those who are correcting you, those who are guiding you, uh, those who are uh, telling you what you should do and should not do according to the Word of God. The Bible says we are to recognize who they are. Uh, we are to recognize the work that God has called them to do. Uh, and we are to esteem them very highly in love. So we are first to love those that are ahead of us. But also uh, we see that we are to love those uh, who are behind us. There's to be a love for the strong. But there's also uh, to be a love for the weak. There is to be a love for spiritual leaders. Uh, but there also to be a love for those who are failing in their Christian walk. We see here in verses uh, uh, 14 and 15, continuing this thought, he says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. See that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourselves and to all men. Not only are we to love those who are ahead of us, but we are to love those who are behind us. Not only are we to love those who are walking with God, we are to love those who are failing. Here in this passage of Scripture, it says that we are to... We are to love the unruly, the feeble-minded, the weak, and those who try your patience. We are to be people who love one another. Now, it's no secret that some people are easier to love than others. But Christians are to be marked by the fact that we love one another. Whether they are ahead of us or if they are if they're stronger than us or weaker than us, we are to be people who love one another. Now he instructs us here how to love them. He said, he said you esteem those that are ahead of you in love. He said that those that are weaker than you, he said you warn the unruly. Those that are getting out of line, those that are disobeying the word of God, those that are disregarding the house of God, those that are uh, making light of the things of God, you're to warn them in love. You're to let them know, hey, you're not doing right. Hey, you're going to meet with the judgment of God. Hey, you need to check this out in your life. In love, we need to warn them and let them know, hey, there is consequences for your actions. But not only are we to warn them, he said, but comfort, comfort. Let me look here and make sure I'm right. Comfort the feeble-minded. Uh, uh, you know, sometimes there can be times and instances uh, in our lives when our minds become so burdened and so overwhelmed that we're unable to function at our fullest. It can happen to all of us. Some folks struggle with it more than others. 
He said, when you got that feeble-minded Christian that's always doubting his salvation, you've got that feeble-minded Christian that never has any, any uh, ability to witness and he's always feeling intimidated. Uh, you've got that weak Christian uh, uh, that's just, uh, you know, always struggling to move forward in the things of God. Uh, he said, comfort the feeble-minded. In love, comfort them. Support them. Let them know you're there for them, that you love them, and you're thinking about them. Not only do we comfort the feeble-minded, he said, but support the weak. There are some who are just spiritually weak. There are some folks who need somebody to call them every week and say, hey, you going to be at church this morning? Hey, you coming out to church tonight? They need somebody to call them on the phone and say, hey, just checking in on you. Hey, you weren't at church. Hey, just making sure things are going good in your life. They need somebody to support them. And you're like, well, I'm telling you what, folks like that, folks that won't be faithful to church, folks that won't give themselves to the Lord, they just annoy me. You know, the Bible says as Christians, in love, we're to support the way. We're to hold them up. We're to help them. We're to lift them up and, and be good to them. And he said, and then be patient to all men. As I said earlier, there are some who will try your patience. But in love, we be patient with all men. Brotherly love is the first thing that is to identify us in our Christian walk. In John 13, 35, the Bible tells us that the defining mark of Christians, the one thing that sets Christians apart from any other outfit, organization, whatever you want to call it, in the world, the one thing that sets Christians apart is the fact that Christians love each other. It is what attracts the world to Jesus. It's the fact that Christians love each other. It is the one thing that is completely uh, something that the world cannot understand. They cannot grasp. They cannot wrap their mind around it. How that we can exhibit such love one for another. But there are many, many, many churches across America who do not practice this love one for another. And it is the reason that so many people, when you invite them to church, they say, I'm not going to church because it's full of nothing but compromisers and people bickering and fussing and arguing with one another. I don't want no part of it. They've got enough arguing in their own homes, in their own families, in their own uh, workplaces. They don't want to add another one to the list. So Christians need to stand out by exhibiting brotherly love. Love one for another. If we want to live like we're looking for Jesus, then our behavior toward others should be marked by love for our fellow man. In addition to... In addition to brotherly love, our lives should also be marked by abundant delight. Abundant delight. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse number 16, he says this, Rejoice evermore. Now, whenever you look at this word rejoice, a lot of times we uh, make that word synonymous with praise, but that's not exactly correct. While praise often accompanies rejoicing, it's not the same thing. See, you, you praise when you rejoice. In other words, rejoice will cause praise. But whenever we think about what rejoice means, it means that you delight in something. And because you delight in it, that thing will make you glad. Now he just gives us a blanket statement right here and he says rejoice evermore. And so I've tried to put that 
into my simple country boy way of understanding. Whenever the Apostle Paul just makes a blanket statement, rejoice evermore, we understand that the word rejoice means that we are to delight, then I understand that what Paul is telling me is that my life is to be marked. I am to seem like a person who is celebrating every day of my life. That is what he is trying to tell me. In other words, when I get up in the morning and I see the sun is shining, it thrills me with joy that God has brought the earth full rotation once again. When I draw a breath of air, it fills me with joy and it delights me to know that I've got life and health. When I turn this faucet on and water comes out, I rejoice that God has blessed me to have running water and I go through my life in a spirit and an attitude of delight in the life that God has given me. We are to be people whose life is exhibited by abundant delight. You know what? I believe this with all my heart. And I know that some of us are uh, have, have, through uh, our, our genes have inherited uh, frowns that just won't go away. You know, our resting place is an eternal frown. But you know what? I believe with all my heart that it is Christian to smile. <clears throat> I believe with all my heart that it ought to be a characteristic of Christians uh, that they are most always uh, a happy and joyful people. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand that we're people. And I understand that we can go into some, some dark, depressed uh, times uh, and that many times we can't even understand, we can't even figure out. We don't even know where they're coming from. Uh, and it's just really hard to get that smile on our face. Uh, but the Bible says, as a Christian, we're to be a people who rejoice evermore. We're to be a people when you find yourself in that place, you say, I ain't staying here. I'm not living here. I'm going to get a hold of God. I'm going to get a hold of His Word. I'm going to get a hold of fellow Christians. I'm going to go talk to people. I'm going to spend time in prayer. I'm going to spend time seeking until I find my way out of this because it is Christian to smile. Now, I don't want anyone here to think that I'm saying that Christians can't have dark times in their life. I'm not saying that at all. I'll just be transparent with you. There was a couple weeks following my dad's death that I really struggled. My dad and I were super close. I called him every day, called or text every day. There was two or three weeks, man, I'm telling you what, I just fell into a darkness that I couldn't shake. And I'm like, what is wrong with me? I can't get out of this, I can't shake this. I mean, it was just wearing me down. And I'm like, I've got to get out of this. He's in glory. He wouldn't come back if he could. It was apparent that this was God's will. It doesn't matter if I understand it or not. This was what God wanted. And I got to get out of this. Why did I feel like I had to get out of it? Because God doesn't want his children living in defeat. He wants us living in victory. He wants us rejoicing in the life that he has given us. And he ought to identify us we're living for Jesus. You know what? We came through 2020 and my goodness what a year that was. We're like 2021 will be better. And in some ways it was and a lot of ways it wasn't. And we're like alright this is 2022 and then we realized that, that you know it said 2022. Like we're going to do it again. 2020 also. Here we go again. It's going to happen all over again. Oh my goodness. Can I make it? And I understand that there are things that are bad. There are things that are different. There are things we're not sure about. There are things that can worry us, things that can discourage us, 
us uh, things that can get us down. But the Bible says the way you're to live while you're waiting on me to return is rejoice evermore. That's how my children are to live. Man, I'm telling you what, that clock is fast. I thought I could love farther than this. Not only are we to live our lives are being marked by abundant delight, but we see next that our lives should be identified by our reliance on prayer. This is where Brother Danny really helped me out with his Sunday school lesson this morning. He taught on prayer. Well, I mean, you ought to just, uh, just get his notes and you'll be good on this. But Christian's life ought to be marked by continual prayer. In verse number 17, he says, pray without ceasing. And I believe this can be applied in two ways. I've heard it explained two ways, and I think both ways are accurate. Whenever you think of the phrase, pray without ceasing, does this, does this mean that I'm to kneel at an altar and never get up till I die? I don't, I don't believe that's what this means at all. So what does it mean? Well, first of all, I believe that we can explain this as being a continual attitude of prayer. Now, if you've been saved uh, for, for a while, you've probably experienced this in your life. There are times in your Christian life when you are doing your daily devotions, you're praying daily, you're spending time with God, you're, you're staying at least relatively close to God, you're keeping your relationship with God in a, at least relatively good shape, and whenever a need arises, you can take it to the Lord in prayer without a lot of trouble. But there may have been times in your Christian life when perhaps you began to get cold and you began to drift away and you began to backslide a little bit and, and the things of God weren't as important to you as they once were. Maybe the things of the world began to catch you up, catch up with you and you began to get busy, life got busy and the things of the world began to get distant and the, the daily devotions kind of fell off and the daily prayer kind of fell off and, and a need arose in your life. It's been a few weeks since you went to the Lord in prayer. You kneel down to pray, and it feels awkward. Have you ever been there? You're like, man, I really need to come to the Lord in prayer, but, I mean, it's been a while. I feel like before I can ask him about this need, we've got some catching up to do. I've got some repenting to do. We've got some things I need to get right before I can bring this need before the Lord. So, so what do I think this means when I seek praying without ceasing? I believe that this means that we stay in a continual attitude of prayer. We keep ourselves in constant communication with the Lord. Nowadays, couples, and especially these dating couples, I mean, they wouldn't have made it back in our day when you could call twice a week, you know, that's all you could do. But uh, these, these folks today, nowadays, I mean, they call, they text, they FaceTime. I mean, they got all kinds of ways to stay connected and talk to each other 24 hours a day. And they're constantly talking, and if they have to go a couple hours without the Internet, they're just, I mean, they're sure that the relationship is over and all worried about it. But you know what? We've always been able to do that with God. 24-7, we can stay connected. But for whatever reason, we oftentimes take our communication with God and put it in a little time slot at a certain time of day, and that's the only time we talk to Him. I think that when it says pray without ceasing, it means that as Christians, we are to be in a continual attitude of prayer. It may take a little bit to get used to it, but whenever you're reading the Word of God, and you come across a verse that speaks to you, you can just, in your mind, like, man, 
Lord, thank you for that. Wow, that is, that's good, Lord. Thank you for that first scripture. Man, that really spoke to my heart. Thank you for that, Lord. You go outside and you look up and you see the stars at night. Oh, no, no, I love to look at the sky at night. You see the stars at night and you're like, man, Lord, you are amazing. Look at all you've created. My goodness, what a God you are. Man, I just love being your child, looking at this amazing creation. Then a need arises. There are ice on the road. And your car's out of control. No time. You don't have to worry about repenting. You don't have to worry about being awkward. You don't have to worry about trying to find your way back to God. You're like, Lord, get a hold of this vehicle and help me out. I mean, it is a constant connection. We never detach. We are always in a constant state of communication with Him. And so I think that is one way this could be taken. Another way that it could be taken is refusing to give up on God. Brother Danny gave some excellent examples this morning of this. He spoke about his father-in-law. For 30 years, they prayed that he'd accept Christ as his Savior. 30 years. But they kept praying, kept praying, kept praying. Some circumstances came into his life, and Brother Danny was able to lead him to the Lord as his personal Savior. But you know what? I'm guilty. I'll be honest and say that I'm guilty. And I dare say, if you were to be honest, you could think of some situations where you may have been guilty, where there was someone you were praying for whose name's not on your list anymore. There was someone who you was burdened for who you gave up. They're never going to get right. I really pray without ceasing as long as I have prayed. If God has put someone on my heart, I'm going to pray for them over and over and over and over and over again. It doesn't matter how impossible it looks. It doesn't matter there how, how, how far they've gone from God. It doesn't matter what the situation is. It doesn't, maybe it's a situation of salvation. Maybe it's a situation of sickness. Of whatever it is, I'm not giving up on God. I'm going to pray until he clearly answers me. We're not giving up on God. We're going to pray over and over and over again. I believe the Christian's life should be marked by continual prayer. There's several more here, and I would love to save it and preach it to you later, but I'm not sure when I'm going to get back to it, so I'll just go through them very quickly for you and give you the rest. In verse number 18, and it's going to be tough because I wanted to land on this one for a little while. Verse number 18, I believe the Christian's life is to be marked by steadfast belief. You say, hold on, it says that everything gives thanks. Exactly. The only way that I can be thankful in every situation is if I truly believe that God knows what he's doing. If I truly believe that God is in control and God knows what he's doing, then it doesn't matter what the situation is. It doesn't matter how much I can't understand it. It doesn't matter how, how terrible the situation looks or feels. If I truly believe that God is in control and he knows what he's doing, I can give thanks regardless of the circumstances. So when I look at this verse and it says, in everything give thanks, it tells me that as a Christian, my life is to be marked by a steadfast belief in God. Next of all, Paul instructs us concerning being sensitive to the Spirit. He says, quench not the Spirit. And boy, we've talked about this several times in past sermons. There is an indwelling Holy Spirit of God on the inside of you. He guides you. He instructs you. He nudges you. And if you are born again, you have experienced that. 
that pulling, that nudging. You have felt the Holy Spirit working in your heart. Do not quench the Spirit. You say, how do I quench the Spirit? By ignoring Him. Don't ignore the Spirit. Be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. Next we see in verse number 20 that He reminds us to be yielded to His Word. Yielded to His Word. He says, despise not prophesies. You say, what does that mean? Well, if you look this, if you search this phrase out, you'll find that this is speaking of the preaching of the Word of God. And what he's saying right here is that we are not to devalue the importance of the preaching of the Word of God. It is how God established it. You say, well, I just, I don't understand why God chose preaching. I don't understand it either, believe me. Some more, some weeks when I'm trying to come up with something to tell y'all, I'm like, why did you choose this, God? There has to be a better way. Then they get no prayers yelling at everybody every week. I mean, come on, there's a better way. God said, by the foolish, he chose by the foolishness of preaching to save those which believe. And we as Christians should be careful that we do not devalue the importance of preaching in our Christian growth and walk. It's very easy to put more emphasis on other things and devalue the importance of preaching. But the Bible says here that your life ought to be marked by someone who is yielded to the preaching of the Word of God. Man, there's a lot of good stuff. Maybe I should have saved this. We'll keep going, though. I'm not preaching again. Y'all just have the outline. Number 21, a Christian's life is to be one that is marked as a person who is careful of trends. Careful of trends. He says, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. You know what, there are new things coming out faster than I can keep up with. I mean, every day there's something new. Every day there's something else that's being promoted, something else that's being pushed, a, a new technology, a new type of clothing, a new, 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 everything is new. And I'm not at all saying that everything new is bad. Not at all. There's, I like new things, and uh, I'm always game for something that makes the job easier or something that helps us to be more productive. I'm not against new things at all. But whenever new things come out, the Bible says that we are to prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. We are to be careful of trends. Just because everybody's jumping on the wagon don't mean you need to jump on the wagon. Just because everybody thinks it's the latest and greatest don't mean you need to think it's the latest and greatest. We need to prove those things by the Word of God and only hold on to those things that are good. The clothing styles that come out just because the world says that they're acceptable doesn't mean that Christians should say that they're acceptable. All the things that are available to us in ways and means and ways of entertainment doesn't mean that Christians ought to apply themselves to those things. We need to prove all things by the holiness of the Word of God and only cleave to those things which are good and let the word rest go on. Careful of trends. Then we see, lastly, the eighth thing that we have here is that Paul tells us that a Christian's life is to be marked as a life that is separated from evil. He says in verse number 22, abstain from all appearance of evil. Be separated from evil. If we do these things, God will respond. God will respond. We see in verse 23 and 24 how God will respond if we live this way. You say, Pastor John, do I have to live this way in order to go to heaven? No. Going to heaven depends on Christ. 
And if you have accepted the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and you put your faith and trust in him, he will secure your eternity. In the passage we read earlier, he said that we are not to be as those that sleep, we're to be awake. But then he said that he will come take all of us whether we sleep or whether we wake. He's going to take us all. Our salvation is secure in Christ. So why is it important that we live this way? Because if we live this way, then God will bless us and we will have a much more fulfilled life than if we try to claim salvation and live like the world. What is it that God will do? How will he respond? There's two things that I say in verse 23 and 24 that God will do for us. It says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. There's two things that God will do for us if we live for him. First, I see that he will sanctify us. Sanctification. What, what does sanctify mean? Sanctify means set apart for the master's use. What does that mean? That means that if I pursue to live the way that God wants me to live, then I will be a vessel that God can use for the furtherance of the gospel. I will be someone that he can use to lead others to Christ. I will be someone that he can use in the ministry of the work of God. If I live for him, he will set me apart, specialized for his service. He will sanctify me for his use. But not only that, it's says that we will be preserved blameless. What does that mean? That we will have no legitimate area that we can be accused as Christians. Now, folks are going to talk bad about you. Don't worry about that. But there'll be no legitimate claims. If you practice to live this way, I'm not saying that you'll be perfect. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm going to say that you will be a person whose life is above standard. You are a person who is an upstanding person in your community. And I see here that he gives us three things. Let's look at these very quickly. He says, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless. I see three things. Our spirit is my communication with God. The spirit is how I am able to communicate with a spirit being. I have a spirit. God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. My spirit is how I communicate with God. So if I live according to these guidelines the Apostle Paul has given us, I will be a person who is able to communicate with God. My relationship will be in good standing. I will be able to go to him in prayer. I'll be able to take my needs before him. My relationship with God will be right. Then my soul is how I understand myself. My soul is my thoughts. By inner me, sometimes you tell someone, well, you know, you don't know the real me. You know, that's, a, that's my inner self. That's my makeup, my, my thoughts, my being. That's my soul. So not only if I live this way, not only will I be at peace with God, but I'll be at peace with myself. You know what? Sometimes our greatest enemy is ourself. Well, I'm telling you, we can just wear ourselves out. I'll be at peace with God. I'll be at peace with myself. But then he says our body. Our body is how we recognize one another. I know who Brother Ronnie is because of my body. Brother Ronnie knows who I am because of my body. Well, look, it's how we recognize one another. It's how we see one another. It's how we identify one another. It's our physical body. So when I look at this, I see that if I live this way that God has prescribed, I'll be at peace with God, I'll be at peace with myself, and I'll be at peace with my fellow man. 
This is how God will respond if we'll live the way that he has called us to do. Let's all stand. Let's all stand this morning. I know that I kind of hurried through the last bit of the message there. But the truths are there. I don't have to belabor the points. It's all truths that you know. This is how we need to live. The world can prescribe a lot of things. But this is how God wants us to live. We're going to have Miss Debbie play on the piano. If the Lord spoke to your heart in any of these areas, you come. being here this morning. I pray that message is encouragement to you. Just basic instructions on how we are to live as Christians. You know what the world says? We need to be in fear. We need to be concerned. We need to be doing all these things. Jesus says, live like you're looking for my return. Live like you have something more to look forward to than what this world has to offer. And I'm telling you what, if we believe it, it'll be evident and others will be attracted to Christ. I hope that message has been a blessing to you this morning. Brother Terry, would you mind praying dismissing us from the service this morning? Lord, we thank you so much for this day, Lord, the breath of life that you give each one of us. Lord, we're just thankful for your grace and your mercy upon each one. Lord, it is a tough life to live here in this world. But Lord, we look forward to the better place of heaven. Lord, we thank you for this message today. Just help us be better Christians. Help us live our life where people look at us and say, I want some of that. Lord, but most of all, we thank you for Jesus for dying on that cross that we do have eternal life. Go with us this day and let us return again tonight. And thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen.